Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the party. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And since the Astros pitchers and catchers reported to Florida today, we're going to get to Astros storylines in a bit. So excited about the Astros being back. But Sean, let's start with the Texans because there was a report that the Texans told coaching candidate who were interviewed that they're taking a quarterback with a second pick. Do I have that right? Yeah. Um, the report came from an article written by DJ Bienemy, who uh, covers the Texans on the daily, along with myself and a few others this past season. Um, DJ is really young, smart, bright writer for uh, ESPN. Uh, he put out an article. I think it came out this morning or late last night. I can't remember on ESPN.com, but he cited that according to league sources familiar with the Texans interview process, that the front office told potential uh, coaching candidates it plans on using the number two overall pick on a quarterback. Um, sometimes teams will do this, um, you know, share that type of information with coaching candidates just to kind of gauge uh, their feel because, you know, it's something that I don't think a lot of organizations would typically do with candidates, but this being such an important offseason and you having such a high valuable pick, such as the Texans, it is important to have um, those candidates on the same page as you if you're really valuing their opinion and considering them for a job. So um, maybe not that big of a surprise in terms of the Texans revealing that information or the, the, the real non-surprise is uh, the information <laughs> that the Texans chose to reveal, according to reports to uh, these candidates. But it was that, and, you know, DJ in this article also, it was kind of like amusing, you know, so you have to look at it this from a broad scope. We know a lot of this stuff because we cover this team on the daily. We talk about this team and pay attention to this team and understand this team and the organization on the daily. Whereas you have to look at this kind of like from an outside looking in. This is from a national sort of narrative, uh, if you will. So it's a lot of information that you already know. Um, there was musings about, all right, what could the Texans do in the front office? I mean, not the front office, but in free agency, should they look at a trade package that includes Aaron Rodgers? Should they look at a trade package that includes – um, you know, Lamar Jackson or something like that. What about the Bears? How about them just uh, deciding, okay, we're going to take Bryce Young because, you know, that's been floated out there. And would you yeah. trade if you were the Texans, Sean, would you trade, say, your 12th pick for Justin Fields? Do you think he's worth it? Do you like Justin Fields at all? No, I, I saw a little bit of Justin Fields and just my gut tells me that he's not really going to develop into the complete quarterback that the Texans could get in this draft already. Um, you know, Justin Fields turned out to be an okay guy for the Chicago Bears this year, but let's be honest. I mean, the Chicago Bears weren't a very good football team. They weren't a very good, um, you know, offense uh, either, to be honest with you. Sure, they put up some points, they racked up yards, but, um, you know, at what expense? I mean, Fields was running his butt off for much of the season once, they kind of figured it out offensively, like, okay, well, this guy's not a very good passer. We can't be a pass-first team. We're going to have to try to move the chains in other ways, get a little bit more creative. So That offensive line, though, is not good. And Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, very similar. They come from the same background, same criticisms of both guys. If you like C.J. Stroud, 
Could you like just, I mean, that's the question is, do you think he's that much better than Justin Fields that you would go, okay, we're going to take CJ Stroud here at number two, where you could take one of the best defensive ends at number two and then still get Justin Fields at number 12. Yeah. You know, I could still be sold a little bit more on CJ Stroud to be quite honest with you. I mean, I, I, at this point, you know, from from my understanding of watching football and the things to look for and, and stuff like that, I mean, look, I'm not an expert talent evaluator. You know, I watch C.J. Stroud play and I see a lot of really good things. Um, but then I see some things that kind of bother me in terms of decision making and, um, you know, his passes kind of sailing on guys and, you know, forcing some balls here and there or in, in really some cases this year. You know, I'd have to go back and watch again, but I just remember making a note of my gut reaction in some of these games that I watched. It's like, I wish he would have taken more chances. You know, I wish I would have seen him attempt more uh, like NFL type throws, if that makes sense. You know, maybe try to fit some balls into some tighter windows. But is he trusting his receivers? Are the receivers running, you know, wrong routes? You know, is he just trying to take care of the ball? Is it just unnecessary just based on what their offense is? Um, you know, DJ B enemy in this article, you know, did mention the bears, obviously at number one, just something that it's going to be, um, you know, a worthy follow as the off season continues leading up to, uh, April 27th, the, uh, first day of the NFL draft and bears are on the clock. And so, yeah, I think it's something to definitely pay attention to because anything that an NFL team says, you know, the week before, uh, the Super Bowl or before the league year has even started, or quite frankly, before the damn draft has even begun, I just take with a grain of salt and then some, because they're not going to tell us anything. There's nothing in it for anybody, especially a particular organization to divulge any information. Yeah, I, I want to get to that in a second, but just a reminder, the best way to support us is subscribe and comment on YouTube. You can listen to us on the run as always by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. But Sean, I, I just feel like they might've told coaches hey, we're strongly thinking about picking a quarterback at number two or early in this draft. But I, I can't imagine they're telling, hey, we're flat out taking a quarterback at number two and without a question and no matter what happens with anybody else and we know and blah, blah, blah. I just don't see that. Yeah, the language is very important in reporting like this. You know, the actual report, you know, um, from DJ Banami is that it told coaching candidates it plans on using the number two overall pick on a quarterback. Uh, you know, breaking news, but everybody can look at this Texans roster and situation um, and see that it needs a quarterback. And if history tells us or has taught us anything, it is that a team in this position will take a quarterback. When there is more than one guy that possesses the potential or has a high ceiling to be good to very good at the next level, and you have the number two overall pick, and you're looking for a franchise guy, you're going to take a quarterback. Now, it may not be at number two at the end of the day. It could be at number 12. It could be at 18 if they decide to trade back a little bit and maybe uh, take a receiver, you know, late first round and maybe use a quarter, uh, a pick on a quarterback in the second round or something like that. Who knows how this draft really shakes out? I, I love how we talk about these things as like a a mathematical equation. Like there's only one way to do it. There's only one answer. We know better than that over the course of the last, you know, forever. It's the NFL draft. It's a crapshoot. Yeah, no question about it. And just if anybody missed it, go back and listen to our last two shows because I had a Dolphins insider, Sam Marcoux, 
give some fascinating insight into Texans defensive coordinator Matt Burke's time as a DC with the Dolphins a few years ago. We had talked about that a, a couple of shows ago, but you need to listen to what this Dolphins insider had to say. And I also spoke with a 49ers insider, Tracy Sandler, about D'Amico, new OC Bobby Slowick, because we are uh, 49ers South now, and a couple of 49ers free agents the Texans might zero in on. And Sean, we're, we're not far from free agency, and it'd be a huge deal if they could grab 49ers center Jake Brendel. That was one of the names that I brought up. He only started for a year in Frisco, but man, how much could a good center who's familiar with this offense help a team that desperately needs some cohesion in the middle of that offensive line? It means everything. You know, you take into account your bookends, your left and right tackle. Presumably those guys aren't going to go anywhere. They're probably going to get extensions, probably Larry first, Titus second. And then um, that is, you know, the most important thing um, right now on this Texans offensive line is nailing down that center. You'd like to have a good, smart, tough veteran NFL guy to come in here um, that sure is familiar with this type of offense, the run uh, zone blocking scheme. You know, we saw a couple of different blocking schemes under the Kubiak uh, regime, uh, obviously a very similar offense with the Shanahan. He stems from that tree as well, but they employed both zone and gap blocking systems. If you can get a great, durable, um, knowledgeable veteran center in here, I mean, that that's a game changer for this Texans offensive line, Robert, who hasn't seen, you know, the quality and really consistency in that offensive line since let's go back to the days when you had uh, Wade Smith at left guard and you had Dwayne Brown at left tackle. But remember the big, but remember the big difference in that offensive line was made. I believe when they traded for Chris Myers from the Broncos, because Alex Gibbs wanted a zone blocker guy that they were, that he was familiar with. And, and Myers was, he was a game changer, I think, for making that zone scheme work. He was huge. Uh, Chris Myers and uh, Mike Barzell, who was their right guard here for a couple of years, it was uh, probably the most consistent and one of the more quality offensive lines in the entire NFL during that time. It was just unfortunate that the Texans, um, you know, under Rick Smith, who was GM at the time, didn't do everything they possibly could um, to retain that offensive line. You know, Eric ends up going, I think, what, to Cincinnati, and they lost Mike Brazell to somebody. Um, Chris Myers, I don't know where he ended up going to. I felt like he stayed in the AFC South uh, for a couple of years. Dwayne Brown, you know, goes up to Seattle. Uh, and Wade Smith retires, I, I think, unless he went somewhere else before he called it quits. But, I mean, it was just as, as good as it was and as fast as that, that seemed to kind of come together, it vanished. You lost it. But we've seen how vital, how important a great offensive line is um, to the success of an offense. And that was, you know, the Texans kind of heyday um, when they had their run game cooking, when they were – the most well-rounded Texans offense probably that we'd ever seen here in the last 21, 22 years. It also helped to have a little guy named Arian Foster. Offensive, <laughs> offensive line. He was pretty good. And I'm going to throw a couple other names out there in free agency, both considered in the top 40 available free agents in the NFL right now. Guards Ben Powers and Nate Davis. Powers, Sean, he's only 26 years old. And check this out. He gave up one quarterback hit and zero sacks this past season. With the Ravens, he had the second best pass rating among uh, is the second best pass rating among guards 
uh, in the NFL, only committed one penalty. He's not the best run blocker, but still solid, and his expertise is kind of good opposite Kenyon Green, who can handle more of the run blocking, but has got a little bit weaker pass blocker, so it gives you good balance. And then Nate Davis would be a double coup because he plays for the Titans, so you weaken a division rival. Davis is the opposite of Powers. He's a better run blocker. The only concern with him is injuries to Sean. He's missed eight games over the last two years, but signing either Powers or Davis would be a massive upgrade. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, the question is, is can the Texans really afford them? And where do they place the value in terms, in terms of guys or position groups they're going to be looking to spend the most money? I would say this about the affording them. I like going after the position of center or guard as opposed to some of the other positions because I think it's one of the cheaper uh, positions and you can actually maybe take the most advantage of the free agent money that you have available by going after a center and guard. And the other thing about those two positions is it's, it's such a chain reaction to your entire offense to improve those particular positions. And I don't think the 49ers can afford to spend a whole lot of money, as I talked about with Tracy yesterday, because, you know, they, they just don't have a lot of money available. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a factor for the Titans. I mean, I'm hearing things that Davis is as good as gone for them. And Powers is, you know, they've got a lot of good offensive linemen. I don't know how many they're going to want to pay. And they're, they're in a situation right now where they're trying to figure out the Lamar Jackson thing. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. And, but you know, the, the Lamar Jackson situation, I mean, they, they both can be true in Baltimore, um, you know, because we've seen the success of Lamar Jackson, obviously, you know, he bet on himself this past season, probably didn't have the year that he wanted to, or felt like he needed to, to get that money. And he probably won't get the money that he wants uh, ultimately at the end of the day, but uh, both could be true there. Um, you know, the offensive line, the value uh, for Lamar and things like that, but there's absolutely no question. If the Texans are going to be drafting a young quarterback here that they're going to um, throw into the fire, let's just say, instead of having a veteran quarterback, you know, take the reins for um, a few games or even the first season um, like we've seen before in the NFL, um, whether it be in Kansas City or Green Bay, wherever it's been, um, if you're going to throw that young guy into the fire, you need to build the best possible offensive line around him because you've already got a really good running back in-house. And they very very well might have a second if they draft one um, in the second round or at some point in this draft. Maybe it's Bijan. I know a lot of people want Bijan Robinson to be that guy for the Texans. I would certainly love it. I wouldn't kick that idea out of bed. Uh, but presumably that two-headed monster is going to be an absolute beast this year when it was a, a popcorn fart of one last year <laughs> with Rex Burkhead and Damian Pierce. No, no hate on Pierce, obviously, but the Rex Burkhead really made the a punch of Pierce uh, feel a little bit softer. But yeah, offensive line is absolutely huge. If you can make that happen, that'd be great. Thing is, the reason why I said brought up the affordability of it, Robert, is, you know, the Texans have the fifth most money to spend in the entire league right now, which is about $40 million. Well, you have to consider the fact that you're going to be paying, you know, maybe it's 11 rookies, maybe they turn the 11 draft picks into nine. You're going to be, you know, using some of that money to retain some of your own, if that's Laramie Tunsil, if that's Titus Howard, what kind of deals are those guys going to get that's going to eat into the cap this year? You know, Nick Casario was on um, Sports Radio 610, Texans Radio, 
uh, Wednesday night. And he talked a little bit about this and was like, hey, look, you know, yeah, we have this money, but there's a lot of areas in which we have to pull that money from to make things work. Never mind practice squad, guys. So it's not as much money as you think that we have to spend this offseason. Granted, it is more than they've had here in recent years. And Casario's busted his ass, you know, to try and, and, and make that happen to where the Texans can go out and improve in free agency. But to how much, to what degree, and specifically what position groups remains to be seen. I'm with you, though. I hope it's on the offensive line. Did he factor in when he was talking on 610 at all the Brandon Cooks coming off the books uh, that money as well? <laughs> Man, I... <laughs> Hey, I, I wish, you know, and, and I've, that's something that I've actually thought of. Um, maybe this is just a stupid idea, but I I choose to believe that Casario, if you listen to him talk, is a very calculated guy and always seems to be thinking not just one step ahead, but sometimes maybe two, three, four steps ahead, like has this grand you know, plan in this vision and it has to just all come together. And it's a very difficult thing to do. But in terms of Brandon Cooks, I thought, you know what, maybe it just didn't make sense for them at the time, not just from a financial standpoint. Certainly you'd like to have gotten rid of that cancer in the locker room at that point in time because the heat was getting real hot. Um, but if the deal wasn't going to make sense for them in terms of how much money they were going to have to eat just to get rid of him this past season, maybe it makes more sense that, okay, the guy stayed here. He played through it. He was a good soldier at the end of the day. He showed other NFL teams, you know, X, Y, Z, what he could still do. Maybe he's a component for a draft day deal somewhere to where it's, if the Texans want to move up to that number one spot. Maybe it's if they want to move up from the 12 um, a little bit higher into, you know, the 987 range, whatever the case may be at any point in the draft. Maybe that's a plan that Casario had for Cooks to sweeten any sort of a deal. Also, too, maybe if you're able to throw a Cooks in, it would pre prevent you from having to offload um, your draft capital for this season and certainly next season, too. Also, when you talk about Titus and Tunsil, they're signed for this year. They're under contract. So it's not like that contract is going to bite in to this year. If you do it right, you push it to, you know, when their contract runs out. So with these other guys that I'm talking about. Yeah, and give them good signing bonus money too, yeah. Yeah, you front load it. Front load mm -hmm. it. And because the Texans shouldn't have a lot of guys to pay early. And it's going to come later on. So you front load maybe those guys to get them. But we'll see what happens. Let's move to the Astros because, oh, my God, the Astros. It's cool how short the baseball season is, Sean, when you win the World Series, man. <laughs> oh, dude, it seems like just a couple of weeks ago that the World Series ended. It's absolutely – this is probably the fastest offseason that I can remember, um, to be quite honest with you. And because it went that extra week because of the uh, the lockout or what – wasn't it like a lockout last year? Yeah, it was a lockout. It was a lockout, obviously, and, you know, they – played six games in the World Series, so the season drug on a little bit. But I, I also think it was the fact that, you know what, as soon as the season ended, it, it was almost like every week there was something going on. Like maybe there was just a downtime of about two or three weeks, it felt like, because six days after the Astros won the World Series, you know, they decided not to retain James Click. 
Um, and they re-upped Dusty Baker the day of the parade. And then the GM search was on. And then we had all of this Bagwell stuff. And he's out, you know, wheeling and dealing, you know, signing guys. You know, he's in on the Abreu signing. And he's the spokesman for the team, acting GM. And it was just, we had something to talk about almost every single week with this team. It never felt like it ended. Baseball season here in Houston felt like the NFL everywhere else. Like, there's never really an off season. There's always something going on. So, and yeah, you know, the fact that the Rockets stink and the Texans stink, um, you know, we were doing the countdown to uh, pitchers and catchers reporting as soon as as soon as the last out was made of the World Series, it seemed like. So, yeah, it's been fast. Well, good news from uh, the new general manager. You mentioned James Click, Dana Brown, the new guy yeah. hoping to extend Altuve and Bregman. That'd be nice. Altuve, Bregman. Let's see what, uh, what what's cooking on the Kyle Tucker front. Uh, you know, it seems like more and more people are talking about that. His name is coming up. Let's, if, if Dana Brown is going to be as aggressive or can be as aggressive as he says he'd like to be and thinks this uh, organization needs to be, um, getting Kyle Tucker locked up right now is a great deal. Um, and I have to think that's probably closer than not because Tucker losing his arbitration case, asking for 7-5 and only getting 5-5-2, five, five, whatever it was, I just kind of found laughable. Um, but then I started to sit back and think about it. It's like, you know what? Like, if it's here, and I believe that it will be, he's going to recoup that money uh, tenfold at some point. He is going to get that deal um, that he deserves for a guy that has been one of the best right fielders in all of baseball, both from a fielding standpoint and from an offense production standpoint. Um, being a 3,100 guy, um, that's what we all have to believe is in his future for the next decade plus if he's able to stay healthy. I mean, the guy's an absolute phenom, uh, and I'm so glad it worked out. But I, I think Dana Brown has probably made that a priority. I know he's come out and said, you know, look, hey, retaining um, homegrown talent, whether it be Alex Bregman, whether it be Jose Altuve or Christian Javier, whatever the case may be, is paramount, is important, and it's what great organizations do. That's true. Kyle Tucker's one of them. So I fully anticipate him to get a deal done with Kyle Tucker. Um, is it going to be before the season? That would be awesome just to kind of put that one away and focus on some other things. Yeah. Um, and who knows? Who knows? I mean, I maybe Tucker, you know, he's been a 3,100 guy, I think, on average for the last couple of years. He's entering year four of, the, of his time in Major League Baseball, 268 hitter. I think this guy's translates to hit the, the type of plate appearances that he has, Robert. I think it translates into him being more of a 280 kind of guy, you know, a, a slightly better on base guy than he has been just in his first three years. I think he's going to be a great, great player for a long time. All right. I know one of the things you wanted to get into was the Astros depth and their bench guys could potentially be David Hensley, Mauricio Dubon, Michael Brantley, Jake Myers either Corey Lee or John or Diaz and maybe J.J. Medijevic. But frankly, if there's any concern about it, I just don't have it because we didn't have Brantley most of last year. Dubon is Dubon, so I'm not excited, but we won the World Series with a lot of Dubon last year. And I like Hensley over Aledmus Diaz as a hitter, Sean. And Medijevic, a little potential. Myers, not thrilled with him, but unfortunately, Pedro Leon's development and injuries have taken him out as the guy I was hoping would supplant Myers. But uh, for the most part, I like the depth. 
I'm looking at this as like four guys, really, in terms of depth. I like a David Hensley. I like a Mauricio Dubon. Um, you know, I'm looking at Yanner Diaz, but I have to throw in a Michael Brantley there, too, because we don't really know how that dynamic is going to work between him, Jordan, platooning, left field, DH, and that situation. I think it'll work just fine, but load management is very important. So that's kind of why I'll throw Michael Brantley in there as well. But if you look at Hensley, Dubon, Yanner Diaz, and Michael Brantley, you know, from a depth and quality of depth standpoint, there's still some question marks there with DuPont. There's a big, huge question mark there with David Hensley because, you know, two years ago, you felt pretty darn good about Jake Myers, you know, after that, you know, extended cup of coffee that he had towards the end of the season with the Astros, where the guy was showing like, man, he has a great arm. He's got a great glove. He can hit really well. And he's hitting in big situations at the plate gets hurt in the postseason, you know, with the shoulder crashing into the outfield wall. And when he comes back, he was just a shell of himself. I mean, the guy didn't look like even a quad A player. He's just a minor league ball player. He can't play at this level. Sure, he was up at the big club, gets a World Series ring, fantastic, but it's a different year. And I need to see more from a guy like David Hensley, who, yeah, he was really good off of the bench in some key spots this last postseason and in the regular season as well for the Astros. But let's see what he looks like, you know, up with the big club for a full season. I think Yanner Diaz, who came into, you know, spring training and pitchers and catchers reported just the other day. Was it yesterday, two days ago? Um, you know, Diaz looking really good, you know, body type wise. Um, oh, yeah, by the way. Uh, Maldonado apparently has shed 17 pounds. Corey Lee has put on like 17, 18, 20 pounds, whatever the report was. So I think there's some real competition going on there. Can Corey Lee talk to uh, Bryce Young and see maybe he can come up with a plan for Bryce Young? Oh, yeah, right. I don't know. Like, did he get taller? You know, because I think people would sacrifice <laughs> like the weight if they just knew Bryce Young was like 6'2", because the weight would come. You know, if you get the frame, the weight's going to come, right? That's a good point, though. And by the way, Bryce Young doesn't need to take any more pictures with me. Nina Kimes, who's short as hell. I don't believe she was wearing four-inch heels, though. I've seen her walk the concourse at Texan games in heels, and it's not the most graceful thing ever. But <laughs> Friend of the show, Mina Kimes, too. Uh, she's a former, former guest on Houston Sports Talk. Hey, yeah. I am not worried about David Hensley because his whole – if you look at his whole records throughout the minor leagues, the thing that he did – better than Aledmus Diaz and why I think he's going to just be better hitter overall. Mm -hmm. um, Aledmus Diaz can probably play a lot more positions and play the positions better in the infield. So you will miss that. Dubon's going to have to sort of make up for that with what he does. And I'm sure Dusty will play Dubon if it'll feel like every day, but it's not going to be every day. But <laughs> David Ensley, he is going to get on base via walk. He will extend counts. He is more like a classic Astros hitter. Aledmus Diaz, by the end of his Astro tenure, and maybe it was there the whole time, he was just like, I, I, if it's close to the plate, I'm swinging. If, if, if I feel like it's anywhere in the vicinity, I'm swinging. And, and, and that was the issue that I had with him. So I, I'm excited about having David Hensley. I mean, I, I will miss the fact that you have an Aled Mistias that can play all the infield positions. I will miss that it looks like Yuli is not going to be back. So he was a guy in a pinch, could play second, short, and third, and it's easy to find you know players that can play first base. Uh, the one thing about Jake Myers, I'll say, is just, I mean, yeah, am I am I not excited about Jake Myers? Yes. Am I worried about the fifth outfield spot in a time where you should be able to figure out a way to get an outfielder? Either somebody's going to look good in the minor leagues. Maybe it will be Jake Medicevic and who can also play first base. I think he's, frankly, 
I would put Medijevic over Jake Myers at this point because he can't play first base. He's also a lefty. The Astros, not a bunch of lefties. You know Dusty likes mixing it up, righty-lefty. So anyway, that's what I was thinking. And that's a really good point. You know, I forget JJ does play, you know, first base a little bit. So does Yonair Diaz, you know. And the real question with, with Yonair is, can is he going to be a defensive liability? You know, because he swings a better bat than Corey Lee does. I mean, there's just no denying that he's a better guy to have at the dish um, than, than, than Corey Lee. And Corey Lee just looked absolutely lost, you know, with the plate. Um, but if if Yanner shows the propensity to be a guy that the staff can trust, that he can really grow with this young staff, which is still really young, um, you know, despite like how successful they've been. I mean, that's a huge plus. I, I think it's a competition. And I think Yanner, um, we're going to see Jonner, Jonner, it's John. Yeah, I better correct you while it's early in the season. Everybody screws this up. It looks like Yanner, but it is with a J, John. It's more like a J. Jonner Diaz, from what I understand. That's fine. I, you know, I'm just uh, a white guy with horrible pronunciation skills. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. John Air. Well, you uh, look at it on, I mean, for everybody, we're going to make that mistake. If you look at it on paper for us uh, Anglos, that's, you know, English speakers, <laughs> it looks like it's with a Y. That's how you would say it. But I've, I've heard from multiple people that that's how he pronounces it. I think that's what they, I think that's what Callis was, I think that's the way they were doing it on the broadcast too. I mean, if you're going to pronounce it like a J, then I'm just going to call him JD. You know, can I, call him, can I call him JD? <laughs> when I go up there, uh, when they make it back to H-Town after spring training, I'll see if I can uh, get the approval from Jean Air <laughs> to do that. Let's just get him a nickname. What what would, uh, what would Milo call him? Would he call him Johnny? <laughs> Oh, Milo would probably be calling him Yonair. <laughs> Yonair. Oh, 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 he he would add an E to everybody though. BG, Baggy, you know, it was just that was his nickname, was just add a add a Dizzy. or add a Y or an E or whatever at the Dizzy. end. Dizzy. Screw Diaz, we'll call him Dizzy. <laughs> I like that. I I'll call him uh, JD or Dizzy. I'll try to my try to channel my uh, inner Milo. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I think it's gonna be a competition. Every every spring training it, to me, it's important to be able to have some really heavy, strong competition at at least one position. And I think catcher should absolutely be it, you know, that backup spot behind Maldonado because Robert, he's a guy, you, you can't trot him out there for 120, 130 ball games. You know, I want Maldi playing, you know, 90, 100 baseball games and feel really good about the days that he's not out there. Load management, once again. I want to feel really good about the time that he's not out there. And if that's Corey Lee, cool. If that's Jean-Air Diaz, awesome. You know, I'd prefer it to be him, a guy that doesn't strike out a ton in the minor leagues. Just remember last year that Jason Castro was the backup for most of the year. He was a disaster. There are trade deadline things that can happen later in the season. And that's where it really matters. And that's where you can really improve that, that spot. Sure. Man, you talk about trade deadline. You know, I'm... Let's play this game real quick. You know, James Click wanted to kind of disrupt the chemistry a little bit this past season, right? When he was talking about doing a deal uh, involving Jose Urquidy, right? Who was that for? Do you remember? It was uh, Wilson Contreras. Yeah, that? Wilson Contreras, right? The catcher from uh, Chicago Cubs. And as aggressive as Dana Brown says he wants to be and like to be, and I think, granted, you know, in all fairness, it seems to have been those comments more pointed towards like, uh, 
uh, signing long-term contract extensions. But we talk about, hey, ahead of the trade deadline, how aggressive do you think Dana Brown would like to be at some of these positions if it's that fifth outfield spot or maybe if it is a catcher where John Ayer or uh, Corey Lee's just not cutting it and Maldi, for whatever reason, just can't seem to stay healthy or they just can't stomach the fact that he's hitting 167, you know, this year with maybe no pop. Um, How aggressive is he going to be? What's it going to cost the Astros going forward? Does he view, you know, these guys you can't touch you know, over the course of the last year, two, three, four, five, six years with the Astros, does he view that a little bit different? How aggressive will he be? We have a lot to learn still about Dana Brown. Yeah, and you also wanted to bring up the starting rotation. Now, to me, this is pretty simple. We've got six starters. Hunter Brown should start in the bullpen with early days off the first couple of months. And after that, Sean, I assume we'll see a six-man rotation with Hunter back in there. And you got to be careful with his innings since he hasn't gone through a major league season yet, and he pitched into November for the first time as a pro. So, for me, it feels pretty cut and dry. And the only question for me is, you know, who's that guy that the Astros have that potentially could be a replacement if somebody gets hurt or a couple of guys get hurt? Because this year, I don't know if there's that obvious minor league guy that's ready to step in there. Everybody wants it to be forced Whitley. I mean, it's about darn time, right? Um, you know, it, the thing is, it's kind of like icing on the cake, right, Robert? If Forrest Whitley has a really good spring and, you know, he stays healthy, how about that one? Let's get that one out of the way. Let's just stay healthy, you know, long enough for you to actually maybe work with Josh Wilson in this big league pitching staff and maybe refine some things and get you in the flow with at least the promise of, you know what, like I'm healthy. Now I can really start to concentrate on baseball and improving instead of, rehabbing all the time or just pining for the days for you to actually get back on the mound after getting popped for steroid use or whatever the case may be you know so I, I think getting through spring healthy that's number one for 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 Forrest Whitley but who else is there I mean I, I don't know I, I I totally agree with you I think they need to be you know pretty cautious with Hunter Brown not just throw him into the fire load management once again to me that is the most important thing with this ball club going forward at various positions um but it will be interesting to see when I when I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about starting rotation is like I'm kind of curious like this is the first time in what two years that Lance McCullers is presumably knock on wood going to break spring training and be in, in the starting rotation, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, is he your number two guy behind Fromber? Um, is he followed by Christian Javier, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia? Is it, you know, Luis tailing Javier, you know, for that four or five, how do we, how do we look at that? You know, and with the days off, there tends to be more of them earlier on in the season. Do we see a sixth man rotation? Do we stick with five? No, it's no, I've heard, I've heard Josh Miller. I've heard them say it, it's going to be a six man road. They're going to go back to that. But what he said was there's a lot of off days in the first couple of months. So likely is that's not going to happen until later. That's why I say you, you put Hunter Brown in the bullpen, you, you limit his inning. So he's ready after not, you know, having ever done a full major league season. And the other part about this is you mentioned it, Lance McCullers. That's maybe the biggest reason that I'm concerned about it. I don't care what order the guy's in. The only time the order matters and when I care is if we're in October. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you start and, you know, regular season or certainly the postseason. You're absolutely right about that. But uh, McCullers, all eyes are going to be on him, man, because um, th- this this is a gigantic 
season for him, and he knows it. Um, this is what year three of that brand new deal that he got. Um, who is it? That was Jeff Luno that signed him to that deal, right before before all this craziness. Was it the seven year eighty five million dollar deal? Right? I think that was Click. I think that was one was of his early Click? moves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Either way, whoever it was, I think he says you're you're three of it, and so it, it's a big deal for him. I mean, he want nobody wants to, him to stay healthy more than he does. I mean, that guy's an absolute bulldog. It just absolutely killed him that he couldn't be a part of all of this team's success over the course of the last three years while he's had to deal with you know uh, the injuries and just rehab and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, Hunter Brown, by the way, I think that's the guy that people are talking about. Uh, Dana Brown has actually said, you know, it's a priority of theirs to make sure that he's locked up, doesn't go anywhere. He's under team control, though, for a few more years. But I think they're they just maybe seen enough of him to where they want to give him his first good contract as a big leaguer. That would be huge. Um, give that guy a gigantic boost of confidence as if he needs it already. I mean, he's it's some of the most lights out stuff that I've seen a young pitcher have with the Houston Astros in a long time. Notice we haven't mentioned in this show purposely the embarrassment that is the Houston Rockets. Uh, I did not get Frank this week Ugh. to talk Rockets. Uh, I am sorry for the fans of that. I love Frank. I uh, just figured I'd give him a week off, and he Needs probably deserves one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 the and there's the All Star break this weekend, so we're gonna we're gonna get KJ Martin in the dunk contest and the rookie sophomore game. We got three guys. I don't know who the hell cares about the rookie sophomore game. I don't know who's watching it. There's going to be some diehard Rockets fans, that I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, who cares? But, um, yeah, we're, we'll get back to the Rockets because there's big questions coming up as we head towards the offseason. There's plenty to talk about. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna have Rockets uh, again next week, I, I, I'm thinking. And just uh, so glad the Astros, though, are here to take a, a little bit of the – they're like the Band-Aid over the Rocket season that covers up the wound and <laughs> – Let's move on. It's it's a really good transition. As bleak as it's been around here outside of the Houston Astros, you know, in the last couple of three years, um, the seamless transition with there now being this enormous hope on the horizon with the Texans going into one of the most exciting off seasons in recent memory, probably since, you know, the Texans drafted Deshaun Watson at 12th overall back in 2017, I hadn't been this excited for an off season because you have the coach, you have all these draft picks and you're supposed to, you're really trying to get better this time. You know, it's not uh, <laughs> the Texans and Nick Casario and Cal McNair are not snake oil salesmen, you know, this off season, they're really trying to get better. They're for real. And the Rockets, let me just say this. The Rockets had a great window with the Texans in the toilet the last two years to really take the reins and be the lead in the turnaround, but I feel like because of Steven Silas, they tr they took it they took it into the dumpster and they threw it all away. Yeah, I mean, not just Steven Silas, but I mean Rafael Stone too, though. I mean, look, look how important it is, Robert, from these other two examples that you have in town. Astros number one in terms of management and coaching, how simpatico you have to be, and look what it's meant so far here in the early going with the Texans between Casario and D'Amico Ryan's. Casario just boasted, you know, went on and on and on, uh, just Wednesday evening, and how he he and D'Amico's relationship is just continuing to blossom is is just almost in awe of D'Amico having just been going back and forth, first go to Houston. Now he's finally settled in. The dude has not stopped. He's busting his ass trying to learn this team front and back, familiarizing himself. I mean, they have to be 
you know, like this in lockstep. And it does not seem like that at all with the Houston Rockets because it's not because they don't want it to be. This is a tank year. And within tanks, there's going to be dysfunction. And in no way, shape or form is Rafael Stone and Steven Silas trying to go grab a beer after a game one day. They probably hate each other's guts. And Stone has overstepped his bounds. And I think his days too, like Silas's, should be numbered. Yeah, when I talk about Silas, I am talking about Stone because obviously Silas did not hire himself. He was hired by somebody. Yeah. And of course, that that is Rafael Stone. And, you know, I just, I, I think with the... Um, with the with the Rockets, it's just what's ashamed is they 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 I, I feel like if if they don't get Wemby or Scoot, oh, it's big, big trouble. It's big trouble. Cause now trying to pull yourself out of this with just a new coach and what what guys are gonna want to come here. We'll see if the Harden thing happens, but you know, who's gonna want to come here and, and how much yeah. you're gonna have to give up in draft capital to get somebody to come here if you can't get guys that are just like wanting to come it, it's a, it's a whole mess but um i i just you know it's it's just so good i think people are excited about the texans again and i mean it's just it's amazing john it's, it's just what a difference a coach can make just one guy yeah it, you know i didn't say this with you but i said it on sports radio 610 probably about a month ago um when one of the callers it was a regular called in and uh, had this take, one of many, and was like, you know what? Bring a coach in, and that'll put butts in seats. Bring the right coach in, and that'll put butts in seats. And I, everything you said, it was great, except for that. I was like, hold on. A coach will not put butts in seats, just period. You know what? Like, the Texans could theoretically have a middling draft class. Like, they could grade out horribly in this draft. Let's just say, number two, they get, like, Will Anderson. And at 12, they go wide receiver and they get Will Levis, like, you know, in the third round or something, right? He just drops. They get a Levis. And their draft grade's like a C. That place on Sunday in September is going to be freaking stacked because you've got D'Amico and you've got this staff and you've got the Shanahan game plan, you've got the playbook, and you've got new players and presumably better players to some degree, even though you think, man, we should have got Stroud or we should have made a play for Young or we should have got Carter instead or, man, we should have taken a flyer on Richardson at 12, whatever the case may be. Man, we should have got that free agent. No, there's still going to be butts in seats because D'Amico's been so impactful. There will be butts in seats until... Until, it, yeah. Until two or three games in and it looks like it's Levy Smith's coaching that's out there. That's all that matters. And, and, and bringing this whole thing all together at the end, I just got to say there, there are occasionally people that are like, well, can you guys split out the rockets stuff in the ass? And we, I do that with guests occasionally and we'll have just rock, you know, I get Frank every week just to talk rockets. And I know there are people that listen to me and go, well, I, I'm not interested in this team or I'm not interested in that team. The reason I do what I do, the reason I've made this Houston sports talk is because sometimes teams are going to be down and we've seen it in Houston. And who wants to talk about the Rockets 365 days a year or the Texans 365 days a year when they're trash? And for me, you know, this is Houston sports talk. I'm from Houston. In my day, you rooted for all the teams and, and it didn't matter, you know, if you were 
a little bit more of one fan or another, but you wanted all the teams to win. And whoever was winning was the team that you were excited about. And like, I want to hear more about that team. So, so keep that in mind. I, I think there are people out there that like, oh, I, I don't get what you're doing. And I'm like, no, I'm doing, this is, this is called sports radio in Houston for the last 40 to 50 years. It's not just the people that you're talking with or that you hear from. That's, that's like, that's all over the place. We hear the same thing from a text line at the radio station. We get the same type of phone calls. We get the same type of reaction on social media, Facebook, Insta, Twitter, you name it. And Twitter's the worst. But, I mean, that breeds honesty. And I would just say this, like, that's part of the problem, like, with the, the national narrative of Houston fan is that you only care. You only want to hear and talk about your team when they're good. It's like you're either a fan or you're not, man. It's like you couldn't cut it in Chicago. You couldn't cut it in Cleveland. You couldn't cut it in Philly. I mean, there's – look at Cincinnati. Jeez. Come on. Like, you couldn't cut it in a lot of other, you know, mid to major markets in this country because they've got all the major sports too. But you know what? They suck, you know. And it, you we're just five, six years removed from thinking we were entering the golden era of Houston sports when Watson was quarterback when the Rockets were pushing the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals and got a hamstring close, you know, to go into the NBA Finals, hashtag Chris Paul, you know, and the Astros starting this dynasty that they're still in the midst of. And, you know, the one common denominator is the Astros. But, man, I mean, you're either a fan or you're not. I mean, you got to talk about your team if they're doing well or if they're stinking up the joint. Like, that's Houston sports. And I would just say it's Houston sports talk. Our job is to kind of keep you informed about everything that's going on. And even if your team stinks um, and you don't want them to, we're talking about the things and the process and maybe reasons why um, they're not going to stink for very much longer, what they could be doing um, to improve, like the Rockets. And so I, I think, you know, we're a couple of years removed, Robert, from really – you know, opening that door back up to the promise of a golden era in Houston sports again, where all three of these major franchises are flourishing once again. We, we may not be talking about the Houston Astros in the same fashion that we are right now today, but they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with the Rockets, but the Texans look like they're going in the right direction. But the main thing is, I don't know how many of my Rockets people are listening to this, but if you are, big old salute to the Rockets fans in Houston, because it is trash to watch. It's hard to watch. And there's still a ton of people on Rockets Twitter that are keeping up with this. And, and I will say, uh, with all due respect to Texans fans, there is not the passion over the last couple of years that there's been with the Rockets fan on, on with what they're doing. And I understand it to a degree, but I also just have to give the Rockets fans credit because uh, they, they, they are leaning into the rebuild. They believe in it. You know, they believe in these guys. You know, they still are believers in a lot of these guys that I, I'm sort of on the fence on it with some of them at the moment. But, uh, you know, they've, they've, hung, they've hung in there as, as good as you can imagine. Some of that's called desperation, too. You know, um, <laughs> I think as, for as loyal as Rocket fans, you know, the Hardos have been here the last three years. It's, uh, it, it's because I don't think the rebuild should have taken this long. Um, they should be better. 
Um, they've gone all in, and it's going to be interesting looking at this organization going forward if, in fact, they don't get Scoot or they don't get Wimby um, because at that point in time, your ass can't tank again. you got to go. You know, you've got to create some salary cap space. Yeah. You got to go out and get improve from a veteran standpoint, develop these guys, get up, get the best head coaching candidate on the market, bring them to Houston, and you get this thing cooking. And not one of those things that I'd mentioned includes freaking the beard, James Harden. You can keep his ass in Philly. He can go somewhere else, but he can't come back to Houston. Well, he might. So be prepared. Uh, thanks a lot, Sean. We'll do it again on Monday, man. Yes, sir. Always enjoy it, man. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.